and welcome to the Pride of Detroit, PODcast, prideofdetroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook. You know where to find us. Get the podcast all the time on the uh, <laughs> on Twitch as we are live on twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit, where I'm already having Jeremy's new alerts screaming in my ear. So I'm off my game already with air horns going off. Download the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. We've got plenty to get into today because uh, tons of news broke. And so did apparently Chris Rock's cheek or something. So uh, there's plenty to discuss here on a very busy Monday. So real quick, our man from Florida right now, uh, looking very, very journo here. From the ownership meetings, the fearless leader, Jeremy Reisman at Detroit Online. Hi. Hey, uh, coming live from my mom's car. I feel like this is high school all over again. It was great. Yeah, no, you're, you're basically ripping <laughs> off uh, Dave Burkett. We, you, were, you were asking us before the show, like, where should I go? Where should I record? And you're like, we should do it from the car. That's what Dave Burkett does. Dave's professional. <laughs> so we have you there. I'm Chris Fett, the adequate host, in case I didn't say that already, at Chris Fett on Twitter. We have a lot to get to. So real quick, the third man of the show, Ryan Matthews. Back is the motherfucking rock guy. At Ryan underscore P-O-D. How's it going, Ryan? It's going all right. Spring Day break. number one officially of spring break. So Hell yeah. But the Lions decided to break all the news they could today. To so. Break it all. And we're going to try to fit as much as we can in here while we have Jeremy. We're also on this show going to talk about Jared Davis. We didn't do a podcast on him yet. We're going to talk about that and some other free agent signings. Uh, plenty of news around the number two pick and our favorite quarterback prospect. We will talk about that. But first, we got to start with the big news. And it's not Chris Rock. It's the Detroit Lions getting Hard Knocks. The Lions will be this year on HBO Hard Knocks, which is very, very, very cool. We will talk about that in a second. But I feel like that immediately got upstaged by the news that usually comes along with getting Hard Knocks, Jeremy, which is very, very much a coincidence. The Lions then got on the same day the 2024 NFL Draft. And if I may, I want to go live to some poll results and then I'll let Hmm. you jump in live to some poll results. I ran a poll on my Twitter account at CRISPR Fett and I had the question, did the Lions receive the 2024 NFL draft because the Lions took hard docs this year? And here were the choices. Yes, absolutely. No doubt in my mind and all of the above. 40% 40% answered yes, 5% answered absolutely, 7% no doubt in my mind, 48% all of the above. So, Jeremy, the Lions got the draft because they are on hard knocks. That's what the people say. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we suggested that might happen with uh, Matt Deary, actually the one who brought it up. Am I, am I coming in okay? I feel like I'm not. No, you're not. You're not. Oh, it, cool. it's, it's fine, though. It's fine, though. It'll stabilize. Um, but yeah, Stop moving no, around I, the phone. There was probably a trade-off that happened a little bit there. And uh, listen, you, you got to play ball in the NFL. That's just how it kind of works sometimes. And, you know, uh, whatever. Like, you, you do what you got to do. Rodwood, for, for all the, the things we've said about Rodwood, and I've, I've been kind of at the forefront of some of his criticism, um, the dude has been a business first guy. He's been trying to get the NFL draft here for, for a very long time. And he succeeded now, so we have to give him some credit there. And whether he had to make concessions to hard knocks, great. That's even better for Lions fans. I know some of the, the people inside the, the organization might not be as ex- 
excited about it, but I, I certainly am. So um, good on Rodwood for, for getting the draft here. That's going to be huge for the city. Good on Rodwood for getting hard knocks here, uh, even if he didn't want it, because that's good for us fans. So awesome day for Detroit. Awesome day for Lions fans. I'm, I'm thrilled about it. I wonder how Jared Goff and Michael Brockers both feel about being on hard knocks for a third time. <laughs> it seems it seems like that's a lot of hard knocks in one NFL. It follows play. them around. I I will say I will say though that at the very least for them they're probably not going to be the focus because remember last time they were on the Rams hard knocks Ryan it was all about how um, it was it was about you know Jared Goff talking about the sun and the stars and everything else that won't be a problem there are at least eight people in front of him in hard knocks that people want to see already. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, I, I was going to say to that point, too, I, I think that Dan Campbell and Jeff Fisher might be on the opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes <laughs> to uh, uh, entertainment value. Um, yeah. But maybe just both in their own separate ways, because seeing Jeff Fisher talk about how he's not down with that eight and eight, seven and nine, nine and seven bullshit. Um, <laughs> that was entertaining in of itself. But I think that's probably the marquee star of all of this, right? Like, I think that yeah. overwhelmingly, on Twitter, it seemed like the the reaction was positive, and it seemed like everybody's first reason for that was Dan Campbell is going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, I think that um, I think that Jamal Williams is going to be great on Hard Knocks, but I don't think like everyone nationally is tuning in because they've heard tale of Dan Campbell being psycho, of the coffee, of the kneecaps, of everything else, and it's a chance. That's probably the draw, if nothing else to bring in people to hard knocks like Dan Campbell's here. Oh, and by the way, and then it's going to be, and then it's going to be a slow discovery after that. Oh, Hey, wow. This, who's this running back? Who's really an anime. Oh, Hey, wow. Who's this? Uh, they, they have a bunch of coaches who are four players. I remember Antoine Randall L. I remember Aaron Glenn. Oh God, they're all crazy too. And then it's going to go off from there. And I, I think what's interesting and a couple of people have already pointed this out on Twitter is that people are going to be going into hard knocks with a very different impression of Dan Campbell than us locally have gotten. They are going to come in thinking it's all going to be like ridiculous. Like they're just going to get silly Dan Campbell and like not going to take him seriously. But I think the people that are going to tune in for all six episodes, all five episodes, whatever it is, they're going to come out with a very different and, and I would suspect much more respect for a guy like Dan Campbell after seeing the guy he truly is both inside and outside the locker room. And, you know, I even put on Twitter, like, I'm, I'm kind of curious what he's going to look like inside the meeting room. But then I'm like, oh, he's just going to be himself. Like that, Dan Campbell's not a secret. He, he, there's not something, you know, crazy he's doing behind closed doors. He and, and the players say it all the time, too. Like, he is so consistent day to day that you know when he's there in front of the podium, he's not really putting much of a filter on other than, you know, cutting out some swear words. So we're going to get unfiltered Dan Campbell, but it's going to be pretty much the same as regular Dan Campbell. And I think that person is going to be a lot different than the perception that he gets locally. And that's something I'm really excited for is for people to meet the real Dan Campbell, not just the knee cap biter, not just the caffeine intake, you know, not the crying at the podium guy. Like he's a legitimate leader and people are going to figure that out. And that that's exciting to me. I think that's that's very true. And like that's why I kind of push back because I know the, the the type about hard knocks has always been that this is a distraction, that people don't like it around, that it's going to expose and you're going to get, you know, you're going to have a bad team for that year. I, I've never bought that. Never, never. If you if you are strong enough to go out there for at least 17 games of football over, I don't know how many weeks it is now, plus the preseason, you go through all that grueling and all that muck. And you're telling me a few cameras from, and some HVO guys coming in every now and then is going to muck you up that badly. I'm sorry. I don't buy it. 
I've always found it a very easy cop out. And I think if you want to prove if nothing else on the, the mental fortitude of this team, then you show them that hard knocks isn't some curse. Then it's like, yeah, I don't even know how much of a curse it can really be. This is a team that's still trying to find its druthers. That's still nowhere near competing, but is still hoping to improve this year. And I, I, I think I don't, I don't see hard knocks as being this thing that derails them and it really shouldn't derail them. This isn't this, this should not be seen as some sort of curse or some sort of massive obstacle. If you're getting derailed by a few guys wandering around with a camera while you're trying to talk about, you know, who you're going to slot at tight end to, that's a you problem. That's not an HBO problem. That's a you problem. And I don't think this coaching staff is going to have that you problem. Uh, no. Yeah. I, I wanted to chime in and say that there's one thing I regret about the Matt Patricia era and that it wasn't on hard knocks to be exposed. Like a lot of people think that like, you know, hard knocks quote unquote exposes a team. Cause that's exactly what you're saying, Chris. Like if you have problems internally, uh, HBO isn't making those problems worse. Um, so I, I want to ask a question though, because I thought it was really interesting who the, I'm assuming the lions put together the graphic that they had um, for the hard knocks poster and the players that they included on it. Um, so the graphics department. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought it was interesting that they had Romeo Quara on there and no Jeff Okuda. I found that, I found that kind of surprising. Um, I, I know that Romeo had, you know, a solid season that led him to a big contract, but he's a guy coming off an Achilles injury and, you know, they did put a cornerback on the, the front page of that and it was Amani Orarie. So I, I, I found, I found that mildly interesting. I, yeah, I guess I would file that under mildly interesting too. Uh, again, it, it's probably just a creative choice by, by the people inside. So I don't think you can't read too much into it, but I will say that I don't think Jeff Okuda is going to be particularly interesting in terms of what he says. He's kind of a private guy. Yeah. Uh, he's not, not a really good media Yeah, I guy. agree with that. It, yeah. It's a fascinating storyline, and I don't think HBO is going to ignore that. It's, I mean, if, if a number three overall pick can come back from an Achilles injury and have a big year, that's an awesome storyline to follow. Um, obviously, you can only really follow it through training camp. But, but yeah, I would say that it, it, it's of note. But it, it is of note because the, the one other name that's just now popping into my mind, it's like, why isn't Panay Sewell on there? Like, he, I mean, he will be fun. Oh, my oh. God, Panay is going to be great he's going to be awesome to have mic'd up. That's without a doubt. And I, I think just seeing, seeing that graphic, I was like, wow, like these are the face of the lions. Like you think about back, you know, not too long ago when you look at Ford field, it's Matthew Stafford and Marvin Jones right, and Golden right. Tate and Darius Slay. And it's like, Oh, the lions have players that are recognized league wide. I think that's another benefit of having hard knocks come in is that it's going to, it's going to shed a lot of, a lot of light on these players that, largely aren't known nationally. No people. I think people will then eventually depending and on like talk about another name that I don't think we've talked about, but I think when people get a look at Amon Ra St. Brown sure. and yep. his work ethic and re, and like maybe HBO cuts back to some of the things he was doing last season, that's, that is a big PR push for him. He's going to become a quick name. I've got I've got two points I want to make before uh, we can move on to the draft unless you guys have more to talk about with no 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 I I mean I love I love the idea of hard docs I I'm it's funny because like you couldn't get me on hard docs before but this is the perfect pairing for hard knocks yeah kind of it's been trying to find its footing for a while and I think they've wanted someone like Dan Campbell and the Lions on there but yeah 
go on. But yeah, to two things. One, one to go kind of your point about, you know, this shouldn't hurt the organization in any sort of way. It moves away from what this organization, I think, has really done a disservice to to its fans, which is, you know, clo- like close the doors, like work in a shroud of secrecy. Jim Caldwell did that. We know Matt Patricia did that. And listen, the, the fans aren't deserved anything, but it sure is nice when when the coaching staff is more open. It's sure nice when we get more media access. It's sure nice when all of those things happen. And um if, if you're a good organization, you got nothing to hide. And I don't yeah, believe like, in that, that like you're going to give away plays and you're going to give away secrets to other teams. I do know that other teams watch, at least this is what Bob Quinn said. He said, you know, other teams scout film from hard knocks and, and, and use it. But if you're good enough, that should not matter. I know you're trying to get every inch of, of, you know, advantage as you can. It shouldn't matter. And, and that kind of leads into my other point. Uh, the other, the other benefit I think of hard knocks and and I'll ask you guys to see if maybe you buy into this or not, but having this culture on display nationally, when you know that players watch hard knocks, will this help out recruiting in the future, seeing what it's like to to play under Dan Campbell, see what he's like behind the scenes in terms of in, in meetings and how he treats his players and Brad Holmes and how he treats his players. Do you think there's any tangible benefit to that being on display? A little bit, but I think what at the end of the day, it's going to be still for a lot of players is going to be wins and it's going to be money. Like, I mean, sure. as much as I like the, yeah. the culture talk from DJ Shark, the point is that you're still not really drawing in a lot of people. And that's because, again, the Lions need to show that they're ready to compete at several key areas, including quarterback and on defense. And they need to show that in a week NFC North, they're ready to compete and they're not there yet. But guys like to win because it helps their career out at the end of the day, like when you leave the NFL, which is a very not for long uh, arrangement, people remember. And like, I work with plenty of guys in radio and when you, they get introduced on radio by the big voice, it mentions how many times they were in the pro bowl, how many times they were in all pro, how many years they were in the league. If they are a super bowl champion or not, that stuff matters to a lot of guys. And like, yeah, the money is great to go to some of these teams, but those accolades help at the end of the day, but yeah, I think it is, it, it will keep people, it will keep Dan Campbell and lions on the radar for people showing that this is a healthy work environment in a professional sense. And then hopefully down the line in a year or two, if the lions can turn things around and start contending, then yeah, it will go into the consideration. Yeah. I buy it a little bit. I want to talk about the draft though. Cause I think that's, Oh boy, we're going to have so much fun. For, for not only fans, but also for the city of Detroit, right? Like it's going to have a huge economic impact. It's going to generate <clears throat> jobs and opportunities. And it, it's something that, you know, I, I think it was Kyle Monkey who tweeted, um, you know, when was the last kind of like national event that happened Don't in say Detroit it. in Don't regards say to it. sports? Don't um, say well, it. Well, he, he said the 2012 World Series. No! I, I mean, it, it's been – it's. It's been over a decade since anything like nationally relevant has happened in terms like of a big sporting event in Detroit. And the draft is one that, I mean, it, it attracts fans from literally all over the world. Yeah. It's become a traveling circus. It really has. I mean, you, Ryan, you and I, we went to the draft in 2017 in Philadelphia and that was a unspeakably huge party. Cleveland after the pandemic was big. Vegas is going to be huge this year. Like it's become a big event. And I think, you know, look, I just I, I we had a weekend where we had some minor league soccer team trying to shit on Detroit City FC and the whole like Hamtrak uh, 
Am I saying that right? I can never say Hamtramck's right, a name right. Hamtramck. Hamtramck, excuse me. I could never say it right, just for whatever. It's like it's like I made uh, Kokovan this week, and I could never, it, like, I had to be reminded 18 times on how to properly say it. Um, but, like, they're just shitting on, like, you know, a cracked, you know, cracked pavement and stuff. Like, I think people's opinion of Detroit is already incredibly low, but it's going to be on the waterfront. It's going to be around, you know, a lot of that area in downtown around LCA and Ford field where there's been a lot of renovation. I think, uh, I mean, I, I think, I think to your point, I think it will go a long way to people's opinion on Detroit. And for us, it's going to be really fun because I don't know what the plan is yet for the future, but um, I was just talking with John Whitaker about uh, we've, I want to put some big plans in place. What's the big plans in place. And I miss Sweetwater. And that's the big thing too. We got to get people up on the Sweetwater wings. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's where we'll record our, our, our live show is, is from Sweetwater that that week. But yeah, I mean, I think you both nailed it. Like, and, and Sheila Ford Hamp said it specifically. Like, this is this was a huge Sheila opportunity. Sorry, Sheila Ham. She's it, apparently. It not, hey, hey, hey! She the dropped Ford. I'm sorry. Yeah, no longer. You got your wish. That. They're no longer owned by the Fords. There you go. <laughs> Everyone got their wish. Uh, but yeah, she mentioned like. Detroit's got a bad reputation and it was really important for her. And it was really important for Rod Wood to get back on the national radar when it comes to the sports scene and bring people down to campus marshes because campus marshes is beautiful. Does it represent all of Detroit? Absolutely not. Are there parts of Detroit that need major renovations and major money plugged into it? Sure. But no one, no one that, that has a negative opinion on Detroit is even aware that campus marshes exists. And so it'll be fun to just kind of like see people and see their reaction walking down downtown Detroit and, and doing so freely, you know, like even, even like people as, as, as young as our parents, like they're still, they, they still have this negative stigma, even internalized where it's like, I remember being in downtown Detroit, I don't know, five years ago and I was out till midnight and I, I ended up telling my mom about it. And she's just like, Oh my God, you were in downtown Detroit until midnight. Like it's changed. It's, it's changed so much since, the World Series, it's changed so much since the Super Bowl was here. And and I'm, I'm really excited to, to be able to hopefully change some people's minds about this city because yeah, look, it's, uh, it, it, it's awesome now. It, it, the downtown area is actually very fun to be around and uh, people are going to realize that. Yeah, it's not it's not Philly, nor on, on like the museum steps, nor is it going to be Vegas all night long. But I mean, again, I just said it. The draft was held in Cleveland not long ago. Like Detroit should at least be able to hold a candle to Cleveland. <laughs> It should be able to. The one thing that I know is going to be an absolute pain in the ass, though, is parking. Oh, God. <laughs> it's going to be I, awful. The, 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 you know who the biggest winners of today is? Is like the owners of Greektown Casino. Just, <laughs> just jacking up parking prices to $300 an hour. Yeah. It's, but you, know, uh, you, you know you've got a good city if, if parking is a problem, right? Like that, that's a staple of all like big burgeoning cities. Oh, yeah. No, parking, I, remember going, sucks. I, I remember covering <laughs> Big Ten Media Days back in like 2015 in Chicago and like Lollapalooza Chicago's was there. Chicago's the worst. Oh, God. No, it was the South Loop in the summer. Lollapalooza <laughs> was the same weekend, Jeremy. A friend asked me to stop and grab a beer with him after I had checked out of the hotel. So I left hotel parking and it was like, $60 event parking. I was nowhere yeah. near Lollapalooza at all. <laughs> like I was on the other side of the loop and it was still like $60 to park. 
Like I, Al, Al Capone would love that city now. I, I would agree with all of you, but Jeremy put me on to how to with John Wilson and he does an entire episode about parking in New York. And that is literally psychotic. This is a banner day for comedians too. There you go. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll get right back into it here very soon. Cause I know Jeremy's on uh, a mobile data plan here. And we'll talk a little bit of ownership meetings. We want to talk some Jared Davis coming up next. We haven't really got to react to him or Hughes or a few of these other free agents. We'll talk about that. And then later on the show, me and Ryan are going to have more draft conversations because uh, it's relevant to our interests. So we'll be right back on the Pride of Detroit PD cast. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge? That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to the Pride of Detroit POD cast. Um, I'm a little out of breath. I'm running the Twitch stream here. We had to thank everyone who was gifting subs here. But let's really quickly get back into it because a lot's been happening over the past calendar week so much that I'm I kind of lost track of everything. Uh, we could keep talking about hard knocks and the draft, but I really want to talk about the return of Jared Davis. He is coming back to Detroit. He the Lions re-signed their former first round pick from 2017. Uh, speaking of which, you know, we just talked about Philly, me, Ryan being there for that draft. So Jared Davis comes full circle back to Detroit. I think it's a little bit of a different return for Jared Davis. And I, I think, I, I, Jeremy, how would you say fan? I, I've got a point on this. So I guess I will ask you straight up. How would you say fan reaction has been to the return of Jared Davis? I, I would actually say it's a little more positive than I was expecting. Um, given, given the lines have you know, not been very aggressive in free agency and returned a lot of guys from, from last year's squad. I, I kind of assumed that bringing back a guy who more or less failed in his four years here uh, was going to bring in more negative attention. And listen, it, it, it has, there's certainly some people that are upset that they aren't doing more to improve the linebacker room. And I understand why it's not a good linebacker room. Um, and they, they brought back everyone except for maybe the guy that played the best at linebacker last year in Jalen Reeves, Maven. Uh, so bring back Jared Davis, understandably overall an unpopular move, but the reason it was better than expected is that 
people kind of love Jared Davis in, in the person that he is. And he does fit this culture to a T. And that's why we probably shouldn't be surprised that this happened in that we, we heard, uh, we heard Dan Campbell say last year, like he loved this dude. He turned on the tape. Um, he talked about when he was scouting the lions, that's part of the saints and said like, we got to put a helmet on this guy or he's going to split open the chin of one of our dudes. And so I, I would not be surprised at all if the Lions really wanted Jared Davis back last year, but the Jets kind of handed him the bag. I mean, we all saw that contract that that, that Robert Sala gave Jared Davis, and we're like, wow, he paid that much? And I'm yeah, guessing the and- reason was that the Lions were probably trying to bid for him too, but they just they didn't have the cap space last year. So he's back, and uh, he, he fits what they want in terms of the, the kind of person they want. question is, can the Lions unlock the player potential that he has? Yeah, he was middling last year for the Jets to not great grades. He, I think he was he, bad. He, he was bad. Like, I think he got, I think the best we could say is he got like, what, a 66 PFF grade on pass rush, on his pass rush elements. So it's kind of, I think that's what we're expecting out of him right now is kind of a a role player for like two down, a, a two down linebacker, someone who can come in and just for packages to just, you know, just bring the house. But I think that, I, I think that the reaction is like, I, I'm glad that people are coming around and being a little more positive, but I would say, I think a lot of the negative reaction is just kind of the devil, you know, at this point, he fits with a lot of the moves the lions have made over the past year where they've been these reclamation projects like Charles Harris. It just happens to be that Jared Davis ha- like was drafted by the lions in the past. If you've been drafted by like Tennessee or Jacksonville, I don't think this would be a problem at all for many people. It'd be a problem in the sense that maybe it would fit with the larger problem of people want to see more out of Lions free agency, which isn't going to happen. Not this year, not in year two of a rebuild, but it, it fits with where they've gone to try to get reclamation products. And yeah, Jared Davis in the Jets was a reclamation project last year, but first over, I mean, first round picks usually get a couple swings at the bat after they've bombed out for people to try to unlock their potential. Wouldn't you say, Ryan? Yeah, I I think it's an interesting case with Jared Davis for a few reasons. One, I I think for the Lions and what this does for them in terms of their perception, I mean, I can't think of a move that is more – if you know what Jared Davis went through, you know, getting drafted when Caldwell was was his head coach to having gone through, like, the entire Matt Patricia era to finally moving on to the Jets – for him to come back to Detroit after all the crap that he went through in Detroit, I think is a, is a glowing mark on Detroit in terms of the kinds of players that they can attract now, because that shows that there's actual change happening um, it, with this, with this front office, with this coaching staff. I mean, we saw kind of like got that feeling with Darren Fells and him coming back, but like having Jared Davis come back, I think is a huge eye opener for anybody who is in, in tune with things during the Matt Patricia era. But I think specifically for Jared Davis, I think that, I think that there's a lot of opportunity here because I'm not taking it as coach speak. Uh, what Robert Sala said um, to the the press during the, the AFC coaches breakfast on Monday that they had, but like Sala couldn't have had nicer things to say about Jared Davis. Like last season, working his tail off in OTAs and training camp. And then he ends up suffering an ankle injury that wipes out half of his season and Salah really thinks that he came back a little bit too early just because he wanted to be playing football. That's the kind of competitor he is. And 
this is what Jared Davis talked about in his press conference, or I guess his reintroductory press conference, we should call it, right, Jeremy? Like he talked <laughs> yeah. about like having to put that governor on himself for for the better of maybe the team and himself, kind of learning to like dial that competitiveness back um, to to be a to be a you know a more productive football player. So yeah, I, I think it I think it's all really interesting, right? Um, because it. it if, if you listen to what Robert Sala said, and of course he's not going to throw his own player under the bus, um, but it really seemed to, he really, really seemed to suggest that all of his struggles, all of his struggles last year were because of that ankle injury. And yeah. I, 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 maybe here's the thing, like I am not going to fall into this trap again. I am not going to fall into this trap that maybe this is the year that Jared Davis turns it around and becomes a first round pick. I'm just not, I'm sorry. Like I, I saw enough of him where I, I, my eyes don't lie. But let me run through the reasons why it could be better this time. One is the injuries are, are essentially gone. He's not 100% yet, but he, he's essentially there. And, and like you said, he's now come with the lesson where I'm not going to push it because that's not good for me. It's not good for the team. It's not good for my future. He's, he's come with that lesson. He's come with a lot of lessons. I thought, I thought his press conference was fascinating. Came with the lesson of, you know, not putting football as his number one necessarily, like learning the work-life balance a little bit more, not putting all that pressure on himself. He's learned to kind of block out some of the, the, the distractions from, from media, from fans. He, he admits that it, it has affected him, but he's, he's learned how to control that better. He fits better in this defense. Dan Campbell three weeks ago was at the, at the NFL combine saying it's a completely different scheme. It's a completely different, it's even a different base. Right. And, and he was at the NFL combine saying like, we want our linebackers to be running free. We want the defensive line to let these guys run downhill and make plays. And that's what Jared Davis is best at, where he doesn't have to think. He just runs. It's not shedding blocks. He just runs and tackles. And more and, importantly, you have coordinators and coaches who aren't going to be like, hey, we want you to play coverage. He might at times. He'll have he to. Might, he might have to, but, but I'm just saying, like, he's not going <clears throat> to. Like, this galaxy right. brain shit where he's being asked to start and play coverage is right. not going is probably not going to happen. We'll see. I mean, and, and the, the other kind of fascinating point about this is that he's being coached now by a guy he used to line up next to in Kelvin Shepard. Kelvin Shepard used to be a linebacker while Jared Davis was also a linebacker for this team. So I think all that's kind of interesting. I, I, I don't think it's going to amount to much. I mean, they, they, we don't have contract terms yet, but you, you have to imagine they're not going to be paying enough for him to be, you know, penciled in as, a, as even a starter. I mean, like we're going to talk about Chris Borden in, in, in a minute here, but I think Chris Borden and him are kind of on entering at the same levels. And, and Jared Davis said like, that's kind of how he prefers it because it, I, I, another fascinating quote, and I'm going to butcher it here. He's, you know, being at the top is not easy. Being a, that top first round pick with, with all the expectations on your shoulder is not easy, but where, what he loves, he loves the climb. He loves getting to that moment. He loves trying to prove it every minute. And that's, that's where I think this whole offseason is centered about. It's about getting guys who want to compete, getting guys that are going to, you know, iron sharpens iron type of thing where the lines don't have a starter linebacker in their group, but they have a bunch of guys capable of starting. And they're hoping that as a scratch and claw for playing time, that's going to raise a level of competition. And that's what they're hoping on Jared Davis. Yeah, at the end of the day, for me with Jared Davis, he keeps coming back to, this wouldn't be so much of a of of a of a thing that people would like we'd have to talk about and kind of muddy over too much if he hadn't been drafted by the Lions. 
that's it. That's what that's what it comes down to. Is I see all the same arguments, and as much as we, I feel like we have to do some apology uh, for him just because an apology isn't always bad, but sometimes it has to be done because he just had such a bad reputation leaving Detroit. But again, if he had been drafted by any other team, fans wouldn't be acting like this because fans love to hate on the devil they know they they that, that's why this free agency is rumbling so many rustling so many the jimmies of so many lions fans because it's not new fresh toys it's a lot of guys that they've already known new fresh toys you don't have criticisms on new fresh toys you are more than willing to try to pick apart and try to find the upside a lot more than guys who you've seen here and know here and you just want to get rid of them because you just you you're, you're tired and you've seen them for and you've watched them for 16 17 games here it's yeah it's yeah. it's no it's no different than last <clears throat> it's no different than i mean even a signing that they made um you know last season like with charles harris you know charles harris comes from another team but he's a former first round pick coincidentally enough taken right after uh jared davis i think in the 2017 draft which is kind of funny um but the the thing about Jared Davis that I'm most excited about is that this guy was on the precipice of quitting football. Like he thought about giving football up before he, you know, before he left Detroit and went and signed with the New York Jets and said that he felt revitalized by going to the Jets. So I want to say that there is, I think there is something to Jared Davis and I, I'm not saying he's a starter. I'm not saying that he's going to be the best linebacker of your group, but like there's something about his effort level that I think coaches love. And I think that that totally makes him a Dan Campbell guy. So I, I'm just excited to see what he's going to do in a new regime. And yeah, it, it my, my, maybe my favorite thing about Jared Davis is that he is a dog chasing cars, man. Like that guy <laughs> is all over the field at all times and not, I mean, a, another cool, interesting wrinkle is that he reunites with Alex Anzalone from their right. college days at Florida. So Yeah. It'll be fine. All right. All right. Let's move I, I on to bounce. some other. Okay. I got to bounce out at this point. Okay. But. Ro- Jeremy's got to go. Jeremy's got to go. And then we'll keep, we'll talk a little bit about some other free agency signings here and then we'll move on here. So thank you, Jeremy. Go, go enjoy uh, Rod Wood. Go right. enjoy Wood. Later, guys. <laughs> All right. So uh, Chris Hughes. Mike Hughes, Mike Chris Hughes, Ford. excuse me, excuse Chris Board, Mike Hughes. I'm making them the same guy in my head. So let's talk about Mike Hughes. All right, let's start there because I think that this is kind of, I, I think this is a good segue from the Jared Davis talk. And to your point, Chris, Jared Davis wouldn't be coming in with this reputation built in as a, you know, a, a, an absolute bust of a first round pick, right? Like I, I think that because he comes from Detroit where we had a chance to see him play and not meet that level of production that's expected with a first round pick, he isn't thought of as this reclamation project like Mike Hughes is. And I think Mike Hughes had a, he had a good season in Kansas city. Uh, I think he was ranked like the 17th cornerback according to PFF. Um, but, you know, he doesn't come without his, his warts. You know, he gave up eight touchdowns last season. Uh, That's something that's not included in his PFF grade. Uh, You look at some of the other statistics with him and it's very much, it's very much like betting on Charles Harris. I think Um, he has, you know, he has one good season to his name and I, I'm fine with it from a depth standpoint. 
Um, I don't know. How do you feel about my cues? I it didn't move the bar much for me. Like again, as you say, it's a depth. It's a depth thing. But then it fits. It fits the model of what a lot of the lines are going on. It's guys who have some good upside, but have had some warts. I love the word you're using there, warts, because warts suck. I've had them before in the past, and they're one of the worst things to ever get. Um, well, there's there's worse, but you, you you know what I'm saying. Like you can't get like a wart is just awful. Why, why am I on this tangent? Either way, know. like it's, it's something to fill out a roster. It's to build depth. It's someone who can like conceivably fight for a position in camp. And if nothing else, it gets you to 53 men on your roster, but it's not someone who's going to be an all-time contributor. You're trying to save that for guys coming out of the draft. You're trying to save that for guys who are either that you already know what they can do or you're looking for new guys to come in the draft. This, this team is still, and I have to keep preaching the patience to people. This team is still really in a very infant stage coming out of a point where they had just bomb, been bombed to hell by the last regime. And I don't think it's sunk in, even in year two, I don't think it's sunk in for a lot of people. So that's what it is for Hughes. And uh, yeah, so uh, Chris Board, though, I think that's more of a special teams pick up more than anything. Again, like the linebacker unit isn't great for Detroit, but you do still need some guys to fill it out. And I think the Lions lost some key contributors this free agency with um, special teams. So signing a guy like Board is a good way to get some of that depth on special teams back. Yeah, I, he comes in and he immediately replaces, if not, I think, upgrades Jalen Reeves-Maben from from the standpoint of special teams ace, one of the best in the league, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when it comes to what he does on special teams. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think it remains to be seen what he can do when he's given more responsibilities on defense, when he's given more snaps. Uh, last season, he had a career high for snaps uh, with 337. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how much bigger of a role the Lions have uh, in mind for Chris Board. Uh, just because, you know, up until this point, it's been Alex Anzalone, now Jared Davis, uh, and Chris Board just before that. So, you know, they have other depth pieces like Sean Dion Hamilton, but they don't really have anybody that stands out as this player is going to be a starter. You know, even Derek Barnes doesn't really kind of elicit that kind of uh, confidence or anything like that, where a lot of people I still think are looking towards the draft and saying, Oh, the, the lions can pick up a linebacker and that person can immediately come in and start and, and fix the linebacking corpse. I think it's going to need more than one fix. This did, is the one did, part of the, this is the one part of the defense where I'm like, what are we, uh, it needs some bigger help eventually. I just don't know where it's going to come from. Right. We don't know where it's going to come from, but to, to, to my point, like the last time the lions put a bunch of expectations and responsibilities on the shoulder of a first round linebacker, it was Jared Davis. It was Jared Davis. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, yeah, it's their depth pieces. Yeah. And I, I, this kind of goes into our, into our topic for the next segment too. I think, Schematically, I, I know the Lions talked well about moving to a 4-3 base, and I'm sure that's going to be important on how this team approaches linebackers and probably takes some of the emphasis off linebackers a little bit, just because that's been, I mean, and maybe this is kind of the shift, the shift, right? Like it felt like the Lions moved to a 3-4 base because they just didn't have a lot of good, you know, linemen up front, defensive linemen up front. And now it's kind of the opposite problem is just the, the linebacker unit has just finally been bombed to hell. 
So, but, and at the same time, I mean, we'll talk about this in our draft segment too. Um, I saw a great article today about Kyle Hamilton and kind of the evolving role of the safety where safety help is kind of becoming more ubiquitous. And maybe that helps with some of the, you know, we talked about the demands of linebackers doing coverage plays. I don't think that's going to be much of an issue um, in the future. If you invest more in like safeties to do more help alongside your, your cornerbacks. So I don't, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I'm still trying to figure out the defense. I'm not a smart person at the end of the day. And like the defense is the defense. It was, was whatever. Yeah. I, I think it's <clears throat> the lines have put a lot of contingency plans in place. Mm-hmm. They don't really have anything that seems, that seems like a surefire upgrade or seems like a, a surefire thing at this point in the offseason when it comes to a lot of uh, the holes that they had going into the offseason. And it's a byproduct of not overspending in free agency. So I, I just want to remind every people that the Lions do have nine draft picks. They have an awful lot of draft picks to to help supplement mm-hmm. some of these needs immediately and then some of these needs as, as the team continues to build. Yeah, there's going to be another first-round draft pick in 2023. We really can't lose – sight of that and who knows what other kind of trades are made between here and now i know and you know what the nice thing too is ryan is the rest of the league because this is a copycat league is moving towards less need f them picks i'm not saying the lions should do that but i'm saying other teams are doing that which then means that the lions can kind of reap the benefits if they try to if they try to you know be sellers at some point and get some more, I mean, even on the second level market, they will probably get more benefit back if they are like either moving down or moving up or, you know, trading away someone like that, that, that kind of, that, that kind of market benefits the lions because FM picks only really works when you're on the doorstep. I don't think it's works as like an all time mentality. It, it's kind of, it's, it, it's interesting, right? Like we've almost traded away, trust the process for F them picks, but I think both are acceptable solutions when you're just in different parts of your team building process. And right now the lions are kind of in the, we need to rebuild this bombed out building process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that's what Brad Holmes has recognized, right? Like if he's taken anything from the, the less need <clears throat> kind of uh, blueprint, it's that, the, the draft pick has a value whether or not it's used on a player and an unknown or if it's used on a known commodity like he has with Jalen Ramsey and he has with Von Miller and the other players that he's gone to, to acquire with those draft picks, Matthew Stafford, you know, so I, I, I'm encouraged by the fact that the Lions are are building the draft capital because look at the way that Brad Holmes and, and I don't know, we're, we're going to talk about the draft here on the other side of the segment, but the one thing that I want to highlight real quick is Brad Holmes has done an incredible job of uh, accumulating these draft picks because he knocked it out of the park with letting Kenny Galladay walk and, you know, playing the compensatory, compensatory, compensatory. Compensatory. Yeah. Yeah. One word I can say, apparently. Yeah. I was stuck between compensation and compensatory, but you know, playing that game and getting those, additional draft picks. And now the lions are going to have potential minority uh, coaches as potential, you know, head coaches and, and receiving compensatory picks with that because they've, you know, put together an incredibly adept uh, coaching staff and, and, you know, those coaches will eventually get, you know, promoted and the lions will benefit from that. So um, this draft is really big though, Chris. And I know we want to talk about the, the number two pick on the other side of this segment. Let's do it. 
let's take a quick break. We're up, we're up against it. So let's take a quick break. We're going to talk about the draft. I know that's your home and it's my home. And I feel like we're going to have dueling takes here now very soon because I'm starting to see the stars aligned for my guy and you're starting to see the stars aligned for your guy. So this is a very exciting time for all of us. Meet us on the other side of the break when, uh, when we go full Billy Joel dueling pianos. Is that, is that where, okay. So I want to make sure we're going that way and not Will Smith and Chris Rock. Yeah, I, I'm not planning on hitting you, Chris. <laughs> we'll be right back on the Pride of Detroit POD cast. Wrapping up the show here on the Pride of Detroit POD cast. So, uh, Ryan, uh, the, fo- the, the, uh, the hound that was Jeremy has left, and now the foxes like us are going to sneak into the, into the chicken coop here because this is, this is our time to just kind of just be low down and dirty about the draft, right? Well, do you know what we used to do at this time? We used to talk about wrestling, but uh, we're going to keep it definitely football-related here. Yeah, like, I listen, I haven't – been keyed in on wrestling in a minute although i might be going to an aew show in june they're coming uh, to detroit yeah uh, in in june so yeah, yeah i might no, be going to see them too. at the forum here in la but like that's not where we were going to go we this is actually like lions related but it is a topic that i feel like would still annoy jeremy if he had to listen to the two of us banter it, so. it would because he is on twitter saying that the uh the only thing worse about malik willis turning into a good player is having to hear about it from me um, because that, that's where the, that's where the narrative has shifted, right? The number two pick, it seems it's a really popular place for those putting together their mock drafts to put Malik can Willis we, can, at. Can we start with one thing I think neither of us are, are on board with though? Yeah, let's do that. Cause I have seen some chatter from fans about what it would take to trade from two to one. And I think that is emerging solely because there are some fans who are still dead end on Aiden Hutchinson who are now panicked to hell that Aiden Hutchinson is starting to get mocked to the Jaguars instead of Evan Neal because the Jaguars spent a lot of money on their offensive line this, this free agency. It's kind of taking the idea of drafting Neal off the board for them, which means they might be going for Aiden Hutchinson, which I've never minded. There seems to be a lot of, there was a lot of fluff and consternation and drama this, this week on Lions Twitter about Kayvon Thibodeau and different hot takes and opinions about Kayvon Thibodeau, about whether he takes plays off, whether he makes business decisions. I don't care about that, but I've never seen the drop-off from Hutchinson to Thibodeau as being that far or that big to the point where you need to suddenly give away draft capital to move up one spot with Jacksonville. And I don't think Aiden Hutchinson is that great of a player that you're going to do that anyway. I don't know if there's a player in this draft, Chris, that's worth moving up to number one to, you know, to, to take, and especially to pay a premium just to move up to, to take Aiden Hutchinson seems like a really bizarre move and something that I don't think the lions would entertain. I, I don't, and I know we're always team trade back. And I know without Jeremy here, we, we don't have the heart and soul of that, uh, of that movement with us. But I think that most lions fans uh, would be in agreement that trading down in this draft is, 
an ideal scenario or an ideal situation. It, it would be, but my 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 thing is always like, look, it's like with everything in free agency and tra- and trades and everything else. You need a dance partner. Who's 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 dancing with you? Because I think I talked about this on my personal stream at uh, No Decaf with the K D E K A F on on Twitch. Sorry, I'm going to plug that. Uh, about like what it would take because we were talking about what it would take for some team like say Pittsburgh to jump up and try to trade because they would want to be in a position to draft a quarterback or like a Malik Willis or a Matt Corral. And my point to that is like, look, you'd want to jump Carolina, but there's probably more pliable trade partners with the Jets, the Giants and Houston that won't cost you as much as going to two. And even then, maybe if like, like you, you, Maybe, especially the Giants, who have both five and seven, which sandwiches you well in between Carolina and Atlanta, both who kind of need quarterbacks right now. So Seattle and Seattle at nine now, too. Yeah. So suddenly there is a quarterback market, and I'm sure this is going to go into your point about number two, but the, the value to trade back might be too prohibitive for a lot of teams to reach up to two. And there might be better dance partners at four and five with the Jets and Giants. There might be. I think it really hinges and depends on two things, right? Uh, the mm-hmm. one that you alluded to is there seems to be a quarterback now, quote unquote, worth moving up to select. And that's Malik Willis, because it seems like there are an awful lot of suitors. It seems like, you know, with with all the teams that you just listed off, Chris, and to, to the point about the Steelers, like there is enough interest that's being drummed up about Malik Willis that there is all of a sudden now a player worth moving up for, or to the other point that you made Aiden Hutchinson going number one. Now, all of a sudden, if there's a team moving up, that's interested in getting the offensive tackle, another quote unquote premium position that they, they could potentially want to move up and take their pick of either Evan Neal or Equanu from North Carolina state. So I think with those two things and in that position, they'd probably have to jump the Texans. So like, yeah, for two, two, but then it's a matter of, again, who's in that position to really move heaven and earth to go all the way up to two. Sure. So, so that becomes the question, right? And regardless of how you feel about Malik Willis, the bigger impression that he can make on teams, the better it is for the Detroit lions, because one of these two outcomes can happen. The Lions can either draft Malik Willis or they can benefit from his meteoric rise. And I, I think that they're better in line now to to a, a month ago, Chris, we're not having this discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're not talking about potential suitors and trading up to the number two pick because there really just isn't anybody worth moving up to number two to grab like that. But now like there's a potential for like your pick of the offensive tackle market or a quarterback number one in Malik Willis that teams are clearly interested in. So I I think that there's some smoke to that now. I, I think that there's some smoke to be right. had with and, that. And one of the things I've, I've always appreciated about your take in this regard too, and it's one I've tried to tell people, and it's, it's an uncomfortable thing to really talk about though, is – what do you do if the Lions, if you like the Lions improve enough where they're not going to be in a position to get a quarterback next year? Because we, we talk about this all the time. It's easy to say like, oh, Lions will be, be back in the top five. But top five this year is four wins or lower. And like 
sometimes five might be too late, depending on how many quarterbacks are in the draft or the quarterback needy teams in front of you. Right. So like, I, I mean, I, I'm not thrilled about the idea of, of quote unquote overspending for Willis, but again, to your point, there's at least now a market where if, if it is going to be that though, to to your point, the fact that if Willis generates enough interest and you don't want him, you can then acquire the capital, which you can use for next year to move up very high in the draft for your quarterback. If it can even be done, right? Because if right. CJ Stroud is the guy that everybody thinks he's going to be. Or Bryce Young or whoever. Right. Like, and I and I really think it's like limited to those two guys, Chris. When you start to look at like the other quarterbacks that could potentially be in the 2023 draft class, it seems like the number three guy is Spencer Rattler. And it's like, oh, that's the drop-off that happens. My goodness. Which is funny because that was always the knock on 2022 was this isn't a good class for quarterback. But then I was always told 2023 would be a lot better. And we're talking right now. And I know we're doing it early, but there's only two guys on my radar right now. And, 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 the, and the Dolphins tried to move heaven and earth in 2020 to move up and take Joe Burrow, and it just didn't happen. They got there the door slammed in their face. There wasn't enough draft capital that you could, that you could send in a truck to Cincinnati in order to get them to, to move that number one overall pick. So that's part of my, that's part of my logic when it comes to taking Malik Willis at two, because the lions are in the position. Now there seems to be a quarterback that fits the lions rebuild in terms of their timeline. It's a guy who doesn't have to come in and immediately start. He comes into a great situation where the offensive line is completely in place. They finally are starting to get some, you know, offensive skill position players in terms of Amon Ra and TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift. They have some pieces there. If DJ Shark has a good year, I mean, they can bring him back. The quarterback is the missing piece for any football team. If you don't have a quarterback, then I, I think you can agree with this, Chris. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have much of a shot in the NFL. No, no. I mean, like you can maybe drag yourself a little bit far with someone like a Jimmy Garoppolo, but you're going to, or a Ryan Tannehill, but you're going to, you, you see every year how those guys burn out at just the wrong time. Yeah. And you've seen that for multiple years from both those guys too. Like, sure. Yeah. For me, I want to talk about Kyle Hamilton because I feel like as much as we've kind of wedged the door open on Malik Willis, I don't think people are there yet on Kyle Hamilton. And I still want to keep talking about Kyle Hamilton because he's a phenomenal athlete. And I'm kind of coming from the opposite angle on where you're you're, like, here's the thing. Quarterback is a position that throws everything out of whack, right? It is the position value trade. Everything else is thrown so off by quarterback. It's not fair to use it in the same sentence here, but for every, to to that point, Chris, like quarterback might be the most important position in all of sports, right? Yeah. And that's why I always hate when we start doing MVP talk and people just say to give it to a quarterback anyway, and then start talking about, you know, just that point that is the most important position, even though like, I think it should be at a reward of excellence, but either yeah. way, other conversation. My point though, is that safety is not something where you can just shrug it off. And there was a great article, I think out today from Ben Solak on the ringer, about kind of how the safety position has evolved that you can't just get a late rounder or huck a converted linebacker out there anymore that you need athletic track stars. You need guys to do more than just, you know, 
sit there in the secondary. You need guys who can play in the box or to cover a, a corner. I mean, to cover a slot receiver. And we're seeing a lot more slot receivers out there doing fantastic things. And you need safeties to be versatile and agile and athletic. And by the way, uh, one of the things I liked a lot from him is he put together the average NFL um, football war of top 10 players wins above replacement for top 10 players by position. And QB obviously is like 2.5 after that is wide receiver at 0.7, but then safety is third at 0.6 in average war. Like this is because this is a position of importance. This is absolutely a position of, of very, of like, I, I get it. It's not going to result you in sacks. And it's not going to be the high flying, you know, interception numbers of a cornerback, but safeties were a big part of the Legion of boom too. Like the, like safeties are damn Earl Thomas and cam chancellor were yeah, no, the, this the is, straws that stirred the drink, man. They absolutely are that important. And if Kyle Hamilton is as people, even people who don't want to take Kyle Hamilton have to admit he is the best athlete period in this draft. So I am asking you, I, I am asking people out there now that I'm giving you more data on how important the safety position is. Are you still really going to tell me that like the fact that Kyle Hamilton plays safety is such a disqualifier. You're going to go several measures down to the next, to another player who might be like the second edge player off the board. It's also an argument for best player available, right? Because I think that there's an awful lot of people that in this draft I think Kyle Hamilton has been circled as the best player in the draft and he's, he's not been, he's not been earning the, the kind of uh, notoriety and he's not earning the kind of the publicity because he's as a being, safety. Yeah. Of being a top pick because of that positional value thing. So, I mean, if you start to pull that apart though, like I, I always go back to 2018 and I always go back to the Indianapolis Colts taking Quentin Nelson, a guard, an interior offensive lineman at six overall. And everyone thought that was silly. Why would you take a, a guard, not a tackle? Why would you like you can wait later and get a guard? And Quentin Nelson has turned out to be one of the best players in the NFL. Right. Yeah. Like bar none. And that's the argument for Kyle Hamilton, right? Is that he is such a unicorn. He is the best player available that he shouldn't be sliding down draft boards because he's that good. And he's going to be that good of a safety. And, you know, and by the way, even with sliding down draft boards, he still goes off the board. Like at, like, like this, this is, this is the crazy thing because every mock draft I look at, Say that, oh no, Kyle Hamilton, he won't go two to the Lions. They'll take, okay, even if, yeah. if Hutchins this is the same is on the board, thing they do with Malik Willis. Right. Well, no, no, no. But it's like, it, it'll, it'll be Kayvon Thibodeau. And then immediately it's the, it, it's like the, the Texans or the Jets immediately draft Kyle Hamilton. Right. But so it's like, too, okay, but it's he's too good high. enough to go it's three. Too high he's to take going, him he's good though. enough to go three or four, but not two. Like, what are we doing? No, it's exactly what Mel Kuyper said about Malik Willis. Yeah. He said, oh, yeah, like you can definitely put Malik Wilson play at number six of Carolina. Why, why did he fit at number two to Detroit? Yeah, it, it's like suddenly suddenly four moves is suddenly beyond the pale. It, like, it's, it's, it's your whole point, Chris, about the min-max of the draft. Yeah, right? I think people are just put, they put too much stock in the number in front of the pick. They put too much stock in of the number in front of the pick and not what kind of player you can get 
with destiny in your hand at that pick. And yes, I get it. Min Max, you would love to be able to trade back with the Jets. You'd love to trade back and get four and 10 and pick and, you know, pick Hamilton or Willis there and let the Jets do whatever the hell they want it to. But that's not the reality. You have to game plan as if you are probably going to have number two in the draft. Yeah. And, and the, the one last name that I want to talk about, Chris, because he's, he's come out of nowhere is Trayvon Walker. Very, very odd that suddenly everyone has noticed that Georgia happened to have a lot of really good defensive players. Yeah. It's, it's the case of the guy who just didn't put up the gaudy numbers. Right. But then he hits the combine and he blows the combine just out of the water. And people like, uh, I, I know Dame Brugler from the athletic was really high on him and this was prior to the combine. This was when Brugler put out his, his first top 100 big board and Trayvon Walker's at like six. And he asked some people around the league, you know, what, what's your opinion on, on me having Trayvon Walker so high. And he said, there are some people who said, we're right there with you. Like we think that he's gonna, that he, he's going to be a top pick and deserves to be one. But then there are other people around the league that are like, you're way higher on that guy than, than we are. So it, it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing that's happening though, Chris, because it, it feels like cave on Thibodeau erasure. Does it, does it not? Yeah. Like I think a part of that is I was talking with someone else, my friends, who's a producer at Fox sports radio. And like, we were talking about how a lot of this is just, we're trying to make th- fetch happen. We're trying to just shake things up and it's no, it's no longer fun to just keep doing cave on Thibodeau. But I feel like the longer we just kind of sit here, with Kayvon Thibodeau, even before the season was over, people were trying, I saw fans trying to pick apart Kayvon Thibodeau just because they wanted to make Aiden Hutchinson happen. And now we're going to be doing again because we want to make Trayvon Walker happen. I'm not putting down Kayvon Thibodeau by saying I want Kyle Hamilton over it. It's just that I think that safety isn't the, isn't the disregard this position that it used to be. Guys are getting paid more to play safety. How like the lions really need to upgrade safety. Did they get anything done to free agency at safety? No, because teams are starting to realize that and they're starting to pay and hold on to their safeties. Cause getting a really good one is kind of hard and they're just not going to always be there late in the draft either. But yeah, I'm sorry. I, I want to get that in real quick before we get back to Trayvon Walker. Yeah. I feel like, and I'm not taking anything away from Walker. It's just, I, I feel like, I feel like when we do draft stuff, sometimes your first impression is your best impression. And I feel like after that, it's when it starts to you like, because of what we need to do in the media to flip things around, to refresh the script, to put out new mocks and generate new conversation. We start to just shake things up. I don't know. I mean, maybe like the Trayvon Walker thing's fascinating. I don't really have an uh, one an opinion one way or not. I do think it is a little bit of cave on erasure though. It just feels like this is a guy who, because either because he played in the PAC 12 or because he's kind of seen as taking plays off or whatever, that people are just really, really interested in just, or maybe it's because he just didn't do, he walked off doing some of those drills during the combine. People really want to uh, knock him down the draft board. Yeah, and, and the, the Georgia thing is going to be interesting this draft too. Like the Georgia players are going to be really interesting because, you know, for as much as we talk about Trayvon Walker, there's Jordan Davis who, I mean, had a combine that 
for the nobody, stars. Yeah. Yeah. That, that nobody will ever see again uh, in, in terms of a guy who's his size and did what he did. But um, there's Devontae Wyatt. There's Lewis seen. There's so many players on that Georgia defense, Nicobe Dean. It, it, it feels like it's kind of like Alabama territory. Doesn't it, Chris, where it's like, yeah. Oh, we had this huge collection of awesome talent. And then you see some of those which Bama players, yeah, which, which ones, ones are going to pay off. Well, which one's the stir, the straw that stirs the drink, there? Right. which ones, yeah. which one is, and I'm, I'm sure you could probably watch the tape enough and get that answer, but which one is the guy that you, if you can take one guy out of there, which one is it going to be? Yeah. Who's the most invaluable. And, and that's the million dollar question because you know, all these guys went to the combine and they absolutely blew it out of the park. So it's one of those things where it's like, you have to watch the tape and see like, that's the guy that teams had the biggest problem with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. We've got another month or so before the draft and we've got oh, plenty to talk about um, in regards to the draft. Just so much is going on. Yeah. And I know uh, we, we have some stuff lined up and planned out for, for the rest of the week in terms of, you know, bringing back the mock draft nights um, that we're going to be doing. And uh, you know, it's, it's kind of as much as Jeremy didn't want to admit, but we kind of like looked at the weeks ahead and we're like, Oh yeah, crap. The draft is, you know, less than less than a month away. So we have to, we have to get going on the the draft. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm trying to figure out like my whole schedule there. And obviously that's our biggest time on Twitch is the, is the draft itself. And, we will have plenty of nights there, but I think that's where we wrap up this show. Yeah, sounds good, man. Well, we got through it. We just spent one break talking about Will Smith and Chris Rock. Just one. As the kids say, it slapped. I'm Christopher Fett. That's Ryan Matthews. Welcome to Earth. <laughs>